Hi, guys. As you know, I've listened to you almost from the beginning, and I want to say a very big thank you for all that you have done up to now and all that you will do from now on. You were my first Star Trek podcast, and you'll always have a very special place in my heart. So I'd like to dedicate these clips to you and to all us listeners as well. Here's to the end of one adventure and the beginning of a new one. Captain, will you join me? the tree of life I just picked me a plum You came along and everything started to hum Still it's a real good bet the best is yet to come The best is yet to come and episode 49. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Uh, today, we have a couple of awesome treats for you. You heard the first one. Thank you so much, uh, Renee, for sending us um, kind of a DS9 tribute. Um, that's what we opened with. And uh, we are going to have one last look back at Deep Space Nine, uh, where we kind of wrap up our final thoughts on it. Um, but before we do that, we have a super special uh, treat for you guys. We have an interview with Chris Crosscove. He was the camera operator and frequently uh, director of photography um, for both the tail end of Next Generation as well as most of Deep Space Nine. Um, and it's a real pleasure that we got a chance to uh, talk with somebody who actually worked on the shows. And we thought it was uh, kind of cool that it's kind of a transitional thing for us since we're going from DS9 into next gen. So that's what we're going to start with, and then we'll be going into our DS9 discussion. So here we go. Hello, Chris. Yes. Excellent. It's so great to, uh, to finally uh, connect here. Uh, I am Brian. Hi, Brian. How are you? Very good. Uh, Adam and Steve, you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, um... Hi, Chris. Uh, my name's Adam Caesar. Um, I currently live in Chicago. We're kind of all over the place here tonight. <laughs> this is, and this is Stephen Embry. I'm in Kansas City. Wow, all over the place. Yeah, we are. So, uh, you know, um, Chris, I don't know if you remember, but I, I worked on um, Lavar's movie uh, Reach for Me a few years ago. That's how I, I met you. Right. Um, right. I was like, you know, I was one of the assistant editors on that. Um, now I remember. Lavar always called you KK. So do you right. do you go by KK or is that just a Lavar thing or do you prefer no, Chris? I think the Star Trek days that's when that started. Oh okay. Um, so uh, speaking of Star Trek, this is a, it's a great uh, thing for us uh, to get to talk to you since you worked on both uh, Next Gen and DS9 and we just wrapped up 2 years of discussing all of DS9 and now we're going to be moving into Next Gen. Uh, so you started off as a camera op 
the last season of Next Gen, and then anytime the DP moved up to DP, you became, or excuse me, moved up to director, you became the DP. Is that correct? Correct, right. And then you went into uh, DS9's third season, and then you pretty much stayed all the way through to the end. So Trek was like a full-time gig for you for years, huh? Yeah, that never happens in this business at all. Um, <laughs> two years of Next Gen, which was just incredible. Uh, those were probably my favorite two years, to tell you the truth. That cast was amazing. Whenever you had uh, rehearsals on the bridge, it was a Broadway show. Huh. You could, couldn't get much work done because Brent would go off and do his thing, and Jonathan Freight would get in there, and then, of course, LeVar, everybody. It was just amazing. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we wanted to ask about. We've always heard that the, the tone kind of on the set, on those next-gen versus DS9 sets was really different. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever in 38, 39 years now been on a set with the actors with that kind of atmosphere. It was truly amazing. And I'm still in touch with every one of them. We're still <laughs> friends. Oh, wow. So does that mean DS9 felt more like a job? <laughs> DS9, I think, it was just a darker show. So I think that just brought on that aura of a little darker. If you, The sets were very gray. Um, we never really went to a planet where you'd have sunlight coming in. It was always star fields and dark. And I think it was a more serious tone on that set than it was in, on Next Gen. Hey, even when you think about like uh, <clears throat> the bridge on Next Gen, which is probably the thing we see the most often, it's, it's really well lit. I mean, you see everything. It's very lit, right? Well, we lit that through muslin over the ceiling, and it had some plexiglass up there as well. So you're able to get a nice ambient light coming down from the top. But then we went with very large, soft sources, which helped round things out. And then anytime we shot uh, Michael Dorn in this, what we call the turtle head, hmm. uh, you get a little stronger top light, which would then accentuate those bumps that he had on a large forehead. So that yeah, gave so a little more texture. How much of those lights, you know, when, you think of, when we think of standing sets like the bridge, how much of those lights were, you know, always the same, or did you have to change them often? Yeah. Uh, to light the set itself was pretty much flip of a switch, unless you're going into red alert and you're go or you're going into power down. Then it was a, a, a different setting on the dimmer boards and everything else. But uh, to light the set, it was pretty much ready to go. Then you needed to know where the actors were going to be, and then make sure they looked good and had the proper backlights and things down on the effect makeup stuff. If if you had Romulans, it was different for every kind of texture that uh, Michael Westmore came up with. But um, in general, the set was pretty much ready to go in normal mode. Um, was was that, um, well, you know, when you look at TV today as compared to then, um, it, obviously it was very well lit. And was that more of a cost thing or did you guys want to have more contrast or shadows? Or was that just more just the production, you know, they, they wanted it really well lit? Um, what was the decision making going on there? Well, when Jonathan West and myself came in there, um, they'd gone through a couple directors of photography prior and then had settled on Marvin Rush, and Marvin was doing a, a terrific job. And uh, But there was a little different in styling. We, we, we definitely sculpted a little more. It wasn't quite as flat and full. Mm -hmm. uh, the bridge, of course, was a very full set. But when you got into some of the other sets, we tried to give it some more contrast. And, you know, I look back on those those days, and every once in a while, I guess the Star Trek's on every day. So you have to flip <laughs> the channel, and you go, oh, <laughs> memories, oh, wow, look at that. Um, 
I'm very proud of what we did. I think we did a nice job. I wish it was shot 16 by 9 instead of 4 by 3. <laughs> I think it would have looked more like a movie, but I think we did some pretty good stuff on that show. And then Deep Space Nine was a much darker show. Much darker. Were, were you guys shooting 16 or 35 on Next Gen? That was 35 millimeter film. Wow. Panavision cameras. The good old days. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see... The last film movie I did was last year with Nicole Kidman. I mean, you just don't do them that often anymore. It's always digital. Even features? Yeah, a lot of the features. Avengers, uh, what was that, last year was uh, Alexa. Uh, the last three features I've done have been Alexa, and then I actually had my first Red Epic experience, mm -hmm. and then uh, the one before that was film. So it, it's primarily, it seems to be digital now, though, nowadays. Are are you happy with with the way digital's come along, the technology and the different things that you can do with it, or do you? I think the work the workflow is fantastic. I'm, uh, that that's certainly leaps and bounds from what it was. But I have to be honest. Um, I think digital photography has brought a whole new realm of photographers in. I don't think you have to know as much as you did in the film days. And I really feel it's a little flatter. Um, they're coming a long way. The Alexa is fantastic. It's probably the closest I've seen to film. But I, I think you had a better palette before with film that your, your, your uh, latitude on, on overexposure, latitude on underexposure. And sometimes the, the textures, the palette, it just seems to be a, a little more pleasing to my eye. It just, you, you fight the crispness of the HD and you fight the lack of depth at times. And so uh, it's come a long way, but it's, it's, I feel like we went backwards for a while there. It's come, it started to get where film was, but when, when digital start, first started taking over, it, uh, it, the cameras were huge. They were heavy. They were awkward. Um, you're, you're umbilically connected now. So uh, it made it very tough, and you're still umbilically connected. But it's come a long way. So it's, it's, I, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to feel like we're doing film again. Uh, you I, mentioned uh, that you thought the uh, workflow is, is a lot easier now with digital. What was the workflow when you were shooting on 35 for Next Gen and DS9? Well, the expense of having to go to a lab and then have the film developed and do a one light so they'd have dailies. And then you, you're, you're going to have to take that and then make a digital copy so that it can go into the Avid. And then you're looking at the Avid quality, which was not good. It was very compressed. And so you had all those extra steps. And now that it's just coming out in a digital format, there's no processing. Hmm. There's no having to uh, transfer over. There's, I don't even think they're using tapes anymore. So it's so, a much simpler. Process. You did more than one pat. You did a one light just for dailies, and then you would go back after it was cut and do another oh, transfer. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sometimes uh, we how would. Much, or, or how much we, were you involved in getting to see? You know, uh, especially you know the whole cam department in getting to see it. Uh, were you guys involved in, in color and everything? Or was it just uh, production? No, we would get involved with color, but then what happens on TV series is that you're going to get bogged down, especially on those shows with all the makeup. You ended up working 14, 15, 16, 17 hours a day. So to be able to get away, sometimes you try to run over at lunch. Uh, you'd go in before your call in the morning or go after work. Was And that, that after a while will wear you down, especially in those days when you did 24, 25 episodes a year. You're going from late June, early July all the way till April. And that's, that's a marathon. So to try and 
be able to get to all the color correcting sessions, not necessarily it always happen. You know, I was looking at the list of, uh, you know, the, the times that you moved up to uh, TP, and I don't know if it was just coincidence, but it seemed like a lot of those episodes were the times that you guys, like on DS9, were the times that you guys went out on location, and, you know, um, uh, like uh, Take Me Out to the Hall Suite, for example. All right. Um, how, how totally, how different was that um, compared to uh, shooting uh, on the lot in the studio? Well, it, I think everybody enjoyed it. We got outside for a change because you can have light deprivation after a while, especially on <laughs> Space Nine with dark, dark gray sets and low lights and, and contrasty. We got outside. We felt free. And with all the experience in shooting other shows over the years, you, it's like riding a bike. You just get out there and you start doing your thing. And um, we looked forward to those days. And it's interesting because uh, – I don't know how, what your reference is on how many shows I shot, but there was plenty of shows that I shot that I didn't get credit for as well because mm-hmm. either Jonathan was sick or we would do some double ups. So it was it was interesting to see how many credits you got, and then all of a sudden, I think one of them was up for an Emmy, and John looked at me like, uh, I think that. Was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to keep track. It's a team effort, and John and I always worked as a team. It was. Uh, yeah, those were really fun days because uh, there was four sets of eyes on the set, not just two. And it, it was quite enjoyable. You talked about uh, you know DS9 being so much visually darker. Was that um, – we were talking about this on our podcast recently. You know, Was that a trend, you think, of, of television? Did you see that going on and everything else? Or was that just what was right for DS9? Because clearly, you know, next gen's brighter. DS9's grittier. It's darker, you know. You think that was a Star Trek thing, or was it everything? It was actually a choice that was consciously made to make it darker and grittier. Uh, they were not as pristine a ship as the Enterprise was. Um, and I think that the characters and the places that they traveled, it was a darker, a little seedier environment than I think the pristine world of the Enterprise was. I definitely wanted to ask you about, um, I don't know if you've followed all the next-gen HD transfers. Um, you know, they're only on the first two or three seasons right now, but have right. you seen any of those? I have not, no. Uh, let me ask you, did they change it to a 16 by 9 format by doing that? No, and that was one of the big kind of controversies. A lot of people really wanted, you know, they've released the Blu-ray discs, and we know they're going to have... Um, other distribution channels in high def, and they're all just pillar box. You know, there's black bars on the left and right. But a lot of people talked about that you guys would shoot, um, you guys would shoot uh, like a 60 by 9 ratio, just not, but you never had the intention of using those sides of the screen. So they said there's always like, you know, booms and things over there. So you couldn't, they couldn't be used. Was that true? Well, Is that what you actually shot? We did have the dual ground glasses. For quite a while. I don't know when we started. I think it might have still been uh, next gen when that started. So you've got a 16 by 9 format. Then you got the 4 by 3 in the middle. But here's the problem with that. In those older, well, older days, they were, they're in the 90s, the, the, there was no common top line. So you have to make a decho- uh, choice, one or the other. And so it was always protect 4 3. If you have to give up something, give up 16 by 9. Now, unfortunately, the headroom, as I recall, was never the same. So if 4.3, I believe, poked up a little higher than 16.9. So you're not going to want to give everybody a haircut all the time, 
So the 16.9, they probably would have had to slip the image to get the headroom correct. That would be an expense. And then, of course, if there's a C-stand, a microphone, a light in the shot in 16 by 9, which is the ones we gave up to keep moving forward, uh, that could have been the issues as well. Yeah, I think they transfer uh, when they're transferring right now for these high def uh, masters. They're they're taking everything in the image because I've seen samples of a sixteen by nine ratio, and oh. it's clearly that center cut four three area that that is missing some top top and bottom as well. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it 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 was it was frustrating because we all wanted to go to sixteen nine when the televisions were coming into that format, mm-hmm. and uh, we had to forego kind of artsy shots and really some really nice compositions to have to sacrifice it for the four three. So there was many times that we, we, we battled that huh. and it was frustrating. It was frustrating. I wish you could have just done it 16, nine. As a matter of fact, I remember we went to dailies one day and they transferred them 16 by nine. <laughs> and we saw on our source <laughs> monitors at the time, a letterbox version. So it's blacked out top and bottom. And I'm telling you, it just gave it so much more credibility and so much more magnitude. It's a shame it didn't go that way. Did you guys ever try and talk them into switching? We did, but I'm sure that the studio and the executive producers on a monetary aspect of things, also dealing with the network, meetings that I'm not involved in, I'm sure that's what dictated what we were doing. It was not artistic. It was, I'm sure, more business sense than artistic sense. Yeah, especially for what next gen, because what well, I guess towards the end of Deep Space Nine is when you kind of started seeing the, the bigger TVs and that sort of thing. So right, that was a transition, right? Well, we're really blown away with um, the way these first couple seasons of Next Gen uh, look in HD. I don't know if you guys use the same film stock like all throughout DS9 and stuff. But I'm, I'm wondering if, if you think DS9 would have the same fidelity. You know, there's rumors that, you know, if Next Gen sells well enough, maybe they've got all the negative in some, you know, rock quarry or cave or whatever it is, <laughs> that someday they might go and, and do the same thing. But, of course, it's incredibly expensive what they're doing for Next Gen. Would it look uh, the same as good, better, worse? What do you think? Well, not seeing it. Now, are you uh, referring to the first two seasons of Next Gen? Yeah, they're they're doing the entire. They've committed to do the entire series, but all we've seen so far, uh, they've released the first season, and we've seen a few images from the second okay, season. The lighting in those first two seasons, and I think if I remember correctly, their uniforms didn't really have a, a crew neck collar. It was a very low collar. Hmm. Um, that is going to have a definitely different look than than if they continue on with next gen. I would say season three, four, maybe five. And certainly seven, eight, if I'm correct on the years of that, that's going to be a completely different lighting style. So you're going to have a different look without a doubt. Hmm. So if they go do uh, Deep Space Nine, it, it's I just I can't imagine it not looking good. I think it's going to probably look like some features that are out there today that are done well. You wouldn't have shot it any sure. differently if, if you'd known that someday they were going to transfer the negative to HD. I don't think so because I'll be honest. On a technical note. It was imperative that the composition and your movement and the transitions on an operating standpoint were good. It was very critical whether the assistant was pulling focus well. And the lighting was was well done. And uh, so on a technical note, as I said earlier, I'm proud of those days because if you really analyze it, 
strictly technically, it was really a well-done show. So, yes, it'll hold up on Blu-ray as well as anything shot today, I think. Yeah, I'm really. I, I certainly hope they do. They do DS9. You know, it's our, it's our. It's certainly our favorite show. Um, I think a lot well, of Star Trek fans. There were great days on on in Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> I'll share one quick story. Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark, we had the big earthquake out here. What was it, 1994? Hmm. And I ha- I happened to be the DP at that point, and I'm trapped in Santa Clarita where I lived, and uh, I barely was able to get into the studio. Well, the, the story I've heard is that Armin was in the makeup chair at 4.30 in the morning, as he probably always was because it's extensive makeup, and that's when the earthquake hit. And he had two-thirds of his cork makeup put on already. He got up, rapidly went out to get his car because he wanted to get to his wife. And as he gets to Melrose and uh, Gower, I believe it was, which is basically the corner of Paramount, the, the traffic lights are out. So he took it upon himself to get out and start directing traffic. (laughs) 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 And he goes, here's this Ferengi directing traffic. (laughs) He forgot he had it on. He didn't want to get home. And the panic, not only from the earthquake and the chaos that was going on out here, (laughs) now you've got the panic of looking at Ferengi traffic. That's awesome. Where were, where were the iPhones back then to capture that? Oh, <laughs> so in every news channel you can imagine. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so so much for uh, taking the time to join us. Our listeners are gonna are gonna love it, and it's like I said, it's it's great for us, uh, Caesar and I especially. You know, we work posts, so we're interested in all this the tech stuff, and I know a lot of our listeners are. And thematically, it's it's awesome that you know you worked on both shows, and and uh, it's a great transition for us since we're going to be switching over to next gen. Terrific, terrific. All right. Well, um, uh, thank you, Chris. All right, guys. Thank you. Um, hope you got what you needed and, and uh, keep in touch. Thanks okay. again. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Man, you know, <laughs> how many times in your life are you going to watch Deep Space Nine the entire series? I don't know about you guys, but, you know, so I saw it, obviously, the, during its original airing. And then I saw, I watched the entire thing from start to finish on, as the DVDs came out, which I believe was in one calendar year. So that was like maybe every five or six weeks they would release a box set, something like that, over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, now we, we have watched it. Um, and then, yes, over the years, my favorite episodes I have watched selectively, that one episode that I loved, or... I remember before the DVDs came out, you know, I had some VHS that I would just watch certain episodes over and over, like Armageddon Game and The Visitor, stuff like that. But as far as watching the entire series start to finish, this was only the third time I've done it. And being not only a Star Trek nut, but specifically a DS9 nut, in that it's my favorite of my favorite show, Star Trek. Um... I don't know how many times in my life I'm going to watch it start to finish. This was the third time. I hope the next time, um, God willing, I'm watching it in high definition because hmm. they've converted them over and I'm able to introduce my son to it. That would be great in, I don't know, 10 years or something. Um, but I really have this this sensation as we finished it that the entire show really stands alone not just as a star trek show but as 
a show in general. Um, it is more different than any of the other Star Trek shows. You know, all the other Star Trek shows were were ships in space seeking out new lives and new life forms, and that's great, and I love it because I love Star Trek. And that, um, but this show really was something special, and I don't think I doubted it before watching it for this third time. Um, but watching it this third time hasn't changed my opinion about that one iota. It really is still something very special to me. Uh, it's still one of the greatest television shows in the history of television. It's one of the greatest pieces of media. You really have the sense that um, they were trying to do something special. They were doing something special for seven long years. Um, what, what do you guys think about the way it kind of fits in with Star Trek, the way it fits in with um, television storytelling I think I mean I watched it because it was Star Trek because I'm a huge Trek fan and um, I think I've grown to appreciate it more over time I knew it was great at the time but um, I, I too this is this has been my third time all the way through it as well um, and yeah I think over time I've grown to appreciate it more I think I think the thing is that what it, it's a great show that's incidentally a Star Trek show and i think why it's so important is that it's um in terms of trek it's the it's the most consistently well written of the treks there's so much great acting in it uh, the story arcs the complexity um i also think that it um it, it was the most daring you know taking new risks that actually worked, you know, as far as the shows go. And I also think, I think one thing that makes it important in terms of television is that it's certainly one of the earliest examples, if not the earliest examples in, in terms of long series that, you know, go this long that are, that lead, lead television into what we're used to seeing now. We certainly saw that in the last season, but we saw bits of it over the course of the series, certainly in the sixth season, uh, where these long story arcs and um, and the episode, you know, that aren't standalone episodes that go over a course of several episodes, which is now the course of the norm in in certainly science fiction storytelling and most other genre storytelling. So I think I think it's important in that regard as well. So I, I think it's 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 a very significant moment in television history. Well, the extreme serialization where one episode goes right into the next. Um, that is the norm now, and you're right that they started that those last couple of years. But even earlier in DS9, just giving the entire show a bit of an arc, once they put a face on the Gamma Quadrant, uh, whatever, the third season, second mm-hmm. season, um, when um, the, the Dominion was there, and we had this Cold War with them basically for years, you know, even that simple kind of ongoing story arc, when we would first hear about these things that Dominion was doing, even that was something that wasn't done even in the eighties, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. like any of my favorite shows I can name for you in the eighties. I don't know. I'm a massive Simon and Simon fan. You could take a Simon Simon episode from season eight and they could have done it in the first season. The only thing they changed offices and they changed their assistant. But other than that, I mean, there was no kind, there wasn't any kind of an arc at all ever. Um, I mean, they didn't even get, um, I don't know, married or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and of course the original series Star Trek was like that Um, Next Gen was pretty much like that 
um, I guess there was there were a few kind of ongoing things with the Borg and stuff, but but nothing that there was no one thing that that defined the entire show in the way right, that right. Um, DS Nine got with um, the Gamma Quadrant. Um, so as far as how this show compared to how you remembered it, Caesar, what do you say? I still enjoy it just as much as I did um, the first times I got to watch it. Um, obviously, this was to, for me. This was during the '90s. This was before the DVRs and the Netflixes and stuff like that. So I never got to see this from start to finish until probably when the DVDs came out. And so that was the first time I really kind of got to enjoy it and take it in for what it was. It wasn't that I didn't want to watch the show. It was just. You, if you're if you're young, you're not going to understand this because you, you you can watch anything you want whenever you want right now. For us back then, you know, you, if your VCR wasn't working or if you forgot to set it or whatever, um, so it was really fun. I, I got when the DVDs came out and I got to just kind of just sit and kind of just watch it straight through. Um, I'd seen a lot of the episodes. There was a few I missed. Um, and I watched, and I believe this. Is, I mean, if you count the first times that I watched it scattered when it came out originally, and then this uh, when I got the DVDs, that's when I watched. It. So this is kind of basically my third time to see it. And um, uh, you know, watching the last episode a couple weeks ago was great. I I enjoyed it and was just as entertained and just as moved as I was the first time I saw it. And that's because the show does such a great job. We've talked about it over and over again of just building characters, and it's very character driven. Um, show um, TV today is is a lot. It's it's still the same, and it's a lot different. And so maybe we'll get into it a little bit. Just um, how a how a Star Trek could could be in today's type of television world. But if you really want to watch a great show and have a good time doing it, watch DS Nine. Well, that leads me to that wondering about. So. I- you know, we, like Steve and I have said, we watched it three times now. And Caesar, you're saying you you really watched it start to finish for the first time with the DVDs. But I'm wondering, that's three very different ways formats to watch the show. The first time I saw it, I watched it basically over the course of seven years, right? Exactly as it was, you know, as it was being produced. I actually did miss a few months because of army training. But anyway, you know, so I watched it as it was produced over the course of seven years. Uh, the DVDs came out, and not only did I watch it in over the, a little bit more compressed over the course of one year, but as each season came out, you know that was a, it was a ritual for me for like three years as as Next Gen DS9 and Voyager were coming out, and they would release them every five or six weeks in a, in seasonal box sets, and it was the first time we ever had anything like that. Like you said, Caesar, this was before Netflix and things like that. This is the first time any of us had, were ever able to just. They'd never released seasons of anything before. Even and the VHSs in, were ridiculously expensive. So they you, were, and you would only get like one episode on a tape, and and they were released piecemeal. You know, they never even finished releasing all of DS9 on on VHS. I don't think. I think they didn't. Um, so this is the first time we were able to sit and watch them by season. So the second way I watched this show was like the, the DVD season would come out on a Tuesday, and I would take Tuesday and Wednesday off of jobs and things, and I would just sit at home all day Tuesday and Wednesday and watch the season and I knock it out in those two days um, so that was a different way that was a very you know that was binging that was closer to what we could do now with Netflix but of course now you wouldn't have to wait six weeks for the next season you would go right in and then there's what what the three of us have done for the last two years where we watched 
you know, basically two episodes a week for two years. Um, so it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, these are all very different ways to watch uh, the show. You guys have a, you guys think one way is better than the other? Does it make well, a difference? Well, if I hadn't seen DS9 before, I don't know how your wife did it. If I hadn't seen DS9 before, I probably wouldn't have been able to wait. If you, if I had them all there, there's, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. I mean, it's not because I've seen this, so I, you know, I can wait. I know, I know what's going to happen from episode to episode, basically. You know, so it's not like, oh, I have to see what's going to happen next. But, um, I'm like you said, when when I first got all the DS9 sets, I watched them, bam, 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 like just like you I mean it was binging and um, I enjoy doing that with I enjoy doing that with episodes from time to time or TV episodes series from time to time it's just binging it's you get it all in there because you kind of forget <coughs> things here and there over the years um, and especially for us back then and the, you know in our earlier years it's like it wasn't that easy to go back and, and see an episode like oh what did that what happened then I mean you'd get reruns here and there but I mean you couldn't really go back and look well, and see what happened my one complaint about this is it's changed the way I kind of watched it's changed the way that I watched the show that I can watch it that way. So I never like it used to be I don't know like I remember many times Steve, you know, at your house, oh Star Trek's on or whenever it would they would play the reruns on what it was a Saturday night. Okay, mm-hmm. let's play this on mm-hmm. Star Trek. And we'd seen it a million times, but that's when it was played and that's when so we watched it. Um but now it's like I almost feel like I can't um, we're getting off topic here, but I almost feel like I can't <laughs> like I can't wa- like I wouldn't I don't want to watch just one episode a lot of the times. So I'm like I'm I'll wait until I can watch the entire series, but yeah, I mean, we've become that way. I mean, it's almost like watching a really, really long movie. And I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it's probably more more apt to like a book, you know, because like mm-hmm. DS9 is it's character driven, it's very detailed. So it's probably a lot more similar to a book than it is a movie or anything. Because a movie is just a, a snapshot of of, mm-hmm. you know, of of people's lives compared to what a television series is. One thing, one thing I would say that we haven't talked about a great deal is that I think one thing that may have caused this to suffer in the eyes of Trek fans a little bit, DS9 as a whole, is it's easy to forget that it, virtually for its entire life, shared time with the other series. And mm-hmm. being a Trek fan... I was just, I was, you know, equally invested in all of them. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, this is the good one, so I'm paying more attention to it than the other one or whatever. It was the Trek universe, and so I'm, you know, it's, and DS9 had a half season by itself in the midst yeah. of all of that. That's it. And so I think that affected it a little bit. It made me, that's part, maybe part of it is maturing is why I appreciate it more now, but part of it was that it was sharing time with those other, those other shows, and, and so it was just, the Trek universe, like another thing going on with it, you know? So I don't think I took it in quite as well as I do when I'm watching it by itself. Oh, and this is a testament to D- more often it was sharing airtime, but it was also probably sharing budgets, you know, with the sure. shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that probably limited it a lot in a lot of ways. And DS9, it was a big show. There was a, it wasn't, it wasn't just the enterprise and some random planet every week. It was, it was a large station, Different ships, different. I mean, full casts of different characters every time. Different aliens. So it was. There were a lot of big ideas in this, and so I mean, it's a testament to the producers and the writers and that kind of thing. Because I'm sure. That, I mean, we've talked about it a lot over the years, where we we see where maybe they ran out of money or time or that kind of thing, and so it's a testament to them that they were able to pull this off while they're sharing not only airtime with with 
um, Next Gen or Voyager, but they're probably also sharing budgets, you know, because they probably combine their budgets in some fashion or form. And so, well, one thing I think we can all agree that they they succeeded on, and this was one of the promises of the show that they definitely delivered on was was um, having all of these. Um, non-main characters that were still basically regulars and the and the opportunity to develop them uh, in a way that none of the other shows could because mm-hmm. a guest star you know you weren't going back to their planet right here you had people living on the station or you know um and i'm wondering for both the guest stars as well as the the leads you know who do you think what characters kind of developed the most over the seven years? What characters do you think maybe um, they should have developed more? Uh, I think we've already mentioned how uh, Damar is probably has the most bizarre arc going from very simple and pretty negative to becoming the hero of his entire race. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Um as far as secondary characters. Uh, Garrick, of course, also is a very deep character with a lot going on. And, you know, I mean, I think we've had this discussion before in some way, shape, or form, but that's one of the things about this series. There are several several secondary characters that are more fully fleshed out easily than some primary characters in other another Star Trek series, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at Nog, where he started mm-hmm. and where he ended. Um, in the seventh season, you know, we had that, you know, that, episode we know where he was dealing with his war injury it was very deep and emotional and you know look where we started with nog you know he's basically thieving you know he's he's the atypical ferengi when we first see him you know he's stealing something and and there you go right there nog is a secondary character technically jake is a primary character technically and jake i don't think had a had a whole lot going on when you talk about over seven years yeah well the most it ebbed and flowed i think with him the, the most extreme realization of of, of uh, the idea that secondary characters played a more prominent role in this series was an episode in the this this last season where it was all about Nog and Vic. Yeah. The entire episode, our leads were secondary characters. No other show before or after in Star Trek has done that. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and, uh, and but you're Vic's- right. That Jake might be an example of. Um, a character of a character that was supposed to ostensibly a lead uh, that we really didn't get much character development for. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't feel cheated out of that. Um, but, but that's a good example of, of, that's one of the few examples of someone that really didn't undergo much in terms of development. Well, they did. I think they developed, it was the father son relationship with, um, with, with Jake and Cisco. And that's really why Jake was there. Maybe that's yeah, why I don't feel, I feel satisfied. Yeah. I don't feel unsatisfied. I do feel satisfied uh, because his primary purpose wasn't as a character Jake as so much as it was uh, to illuminate this father-son relationship. And in that way, it was very successful. So, yeah, I would I would agree with, with you, Steve, about Jake that <clears throat> could have done more with him. They could have done But, yeah, I also agree with you that that you know the that culminated in the visitor and you know that was what season five four or five four four mm-hmm. and um i don't know i don't think they were able to kind of recapture that um after after that episode i mean it's four years in and then you know kind of jake has kind of just um you know he has his mo- more he has more moments with nog after that season than he does with his father hmm. I know, Adam, that your favorite character from a development point of view was Cassidy. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but um, you know, I don't just I don't I don't just you know yeah, what I don't dislike I, Cassidy. And they, I know they, you don't dislike her. I'm just joking about her development. Um, my, and and they tried there in the end there to kind of like had they had some nice. I mean, I watching the seventh season they had there were some nice moments between Cisco and Cassidy where it actually kind of felt it felt like they were they had feelings for each other. I just wish they would have gotten to that a lot sooner. You know, the um, up until the seventh season, I felt like consistently maybe, you know, Odo had the most, you know, he was the Spock character, um, the Doctor from Voyager, you know, the Data from Next Gen. He was that, that character um, for a long time on this show. And especially once so much of it became about the Dominion and the Gamma Quadrant, and that those were Odo's people, you know, he had the most the most room um, to grow. And several of the seasons, he felt like he was the most uh, developed. And then maybe not so much this last season. The last season, I don't remember it feeling as different as it turned out to feel. I guess it makes sense because you know, ha- dang near half the season is the the final arc, which is very mm-hmm. plot heavy. And then maybe a, a third of it was were Ezri episodes, which I don't, doesn't bother, didn't bother me this time. <laughs> I loved her even more than I remembered. Um, so that really only left a handful of episodes. So you don't, I guess my point is season seven felt less like any individual's year than any other. And because that's how we left the show it, it, before it always felt like we were, we were really talking about one or two characters and, and after season seven, it didn't feel that way. I guess season seven felt more like the other Star Trek series in that sense. Mm-hmm. I, that makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, by then everything was kind of fleshed out. We kind of knew everything that we were going to know about each of these characters by then. All the surprises were kind of out, you know, if you think about it. We kind of got a little, we learned a little bit more and more about each character throughout the first six and yeah you're, and there wasn't any they were all fleshed out except for Esri that was the that was the new character the new character and that's, and that's why we needed all those episodes Esri. for her yeah yeah we didn't really have a separate conversation just about season seven but my one question for that would be you know a couple of favorite episodes from this season for you guys from the seventh season just to, to name which ones you think were the best ones. The well, the finale, duh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to separate many of those ones toward the end for sure, but definitely, definitely the finale. Um, what do you think was the best of those Ezri episodes? Hmm. The Wharf stuff is good. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's hard. You know, you, you yeah, can it, like yeah, pinpoint different cool. like plot points throughout the... Although, you know what, guys? I can congratulate all three of us now. I think we did a very good job of not mixing up the finale episodes. The, 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 sorry, I really thought we would because we did in season six. But anyway, so I, in, in a general sense of, about uh, DS9, I think Caesar, you mentioned it, but Steve, how do you feel like the show was compared to, cause I, and I know you've watched select episodes that are your favorites over the years, just like me, but... Also, just like me, this was only the third time you watched the entire show. And how do you feel like it like it holds up as far as um, the other shows? Well, uh, and very, what you remembered it to be? Yeah, very well. I mean, rarely did I run across things that felt dated 
to me overall. I mean, there's there's the general sense of we know how episodic television is today versus how it was in the past, and that's going to make certain things in the past always feel oh, okay. This this seems '90s or whatever. But I, I didn't get not not compared to the other Trek series. Like I, you know, when you catch a, I catch caught some next gen episodes now and then, and I, I often have a dated feel for those. And granted, there's a little bit of a time span going farther back than DS9, but overall, I think it it holds up quite well. And then especially towards the end, and um, and the and the writing's so good. I mean, good writing is timeless, you know. So. I yeah, so. even the original series. I mean, that's what originally attracted all of us and everyone to Star Trek is that they had these timeless stories. And we've talked about that's that's kind of the point of view that we took in discussing this show for the last two years and that we're going to continue to take with, with future Star Trek discussions is asking, you know, what was the story really about? What were they really trying to talk about? What were these 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 timeless themes? You know, and one of the many reasons that we selected Deep Space Nine to analyze in that way is that that for me it with it being my favorite of the Star Trek shows I think they were more consistently and frequently successful in that sense there are more episodes that feel timeless because they were always thinking about the bigger picture they were always thinking about these these character questions that will be just as valid 50 years from now Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and those rare misses are, were so few and far between. Um, I think that my the only time that the DS9 felt dated to me this time, this viewing, and here we are recording this um, in October of 2012. Um, but the only time that ever felt dated were those times when I would go from that to watching a modern show, which is so serialized, you know, and. and and that's something I think you were just getting at, Steve. But mm-hmm. but that's the only thing that that held it back a little bit. But the good shows are the good shows, and 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 because they're talking about these these issues that will always be um, worthwhile uh, to discuss. It didn't really hold it back, you know. I I think that. Like I said, God willing, I can play this for my... The next time I watch it, I'm playing it for my son. That would be great. It's a long time from now, but we'll see. Um, uh, especially if it's in HD, be, um, <laughs> I think that he won't even notice that it's from the 90s. <laughs> Although, if it was SD, he would notice. <laughs> That's just going to get more and more extreme. Well, some. I was also thinking about this as like, you know, how extraordinarily different um, Captain Sisko's journey is from the other captains. You have Captain Kirk, Janeway. I mean, they're all captains and they all kind of, you know, we don't know about Janeway, but we all presumably they they die captains. Well, I guess Janeway would be an admiral. Same with Archer. And we have Sisko who takes this completely different journey than the other captains very different i mean it starts off kind of the same but it takes a very different turn and that's what i found really fascinating about this the show i mean if they do another i mean you know we look at jj abrams it's it's basically you know it's the story of kirk it's it's not different much different from what we've seen from the original series in the movies it's just just a different twist but cisco is to me he's above and beyond he's 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 
out of the circle of the other captains, and it's a fascinating story. I guess the best way you could describe to me is this goes you could describe him to Captain Decker from the um, motion picture. Because that's mm. kind of you know he evolves into something else. Presumably, we don't know, mm-hmm. but that's kind of kind of how it felt to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right because so much of, of a Star Trek show is the captain. You know, yeah. he defines the show in so many ways, and more than any other Star Trek show, Cisco evolved. You know, I love the other Star Treks, and I love you know uh, Picard and Janeway in particular, and Kirk. Um, I love them. But I don't think any of them uh, had as much character development and change as Cisco. Well, when you I mean, compare, when you compare, you say, "What's the journey? Cisco's journey compared to the other captain's journey?" Oh, the, it's almost their, the other ones don't have a journey. I mean, when you really start and think of it that way, I mean, they they have character development, but I'd be hard pressed to call their development a journey like we do with Cisco's. Well, well, well Janeway. Janeway's hair was very different. And mm, that's true. <laughs> well, well, Janeway. I mean, well, Cisco's journey isn't just about being a captain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very spiritual in its in its own sense. I mean, you know, when he comes on to the the station, you know, one of the first things is, you know, um, the Kai, you know, grad, you know, the the one who does not want to be with us is going to be our emissary, you know, and you, you just think to yourself, what is what the heck does that mean? <laughs> And and that's the beginning of Cisco's spiritual journey that he struggles with basically the entire series up until maybe the last season or so, and um, and then you know at the very end it culminates into him evolving into something magical almost. Hmm. So very satisfying and um, very uh, you know very emotional to finish it. And I guess it's always going to be that way. And like I said, you know, I, I definitely had a sense of, especially watching that last episode, just thinking about how many times in my life am I going to watch this? I mean, let's be honest, start to finish, maybe only a couple more times. And that's if I'm lucky to live a nice, you know, long <laughs> age. And it's hard to imagine it being more than, even if uh, some crazy number, a few times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think you'll watch it the next time? You think you'll do like the, the binge? Well, I don't know. Like I said, it, it's probably going to be, it'll probably be, could be 10 years before I watch it again, start to finish. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's hard well, to and say. That's, and, that's, and that's the nice thing about it. You talk about uh, hopefully with your son, you watch them. And that's, and that's the best way is to share these with someone else. You know, I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're so used to a series, when you've seen it so many times, uh, the, the real satisfaction comes with, uh, sharing it with another, going through the whole, if if, if that's possible, you know, to me, you know, to me, that, that's a great thing. Steve, it reminds me of something you said whenever we discussed the visitor. Um, you know, I've always also said I think that's one of our best discussions. And of course, we were talking about our favorite episode. One of our favorite <laughs> so good. And so we have the the better the episode, the better our discussion. But I remember something you said about it, and you said, you said this is my like go-to episode to show people Star Trek that aren't Star Trek fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's telling that that's a DS9 episode. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, You know, we're going to be starting Next Gen soon. And 
my wife has watched all of DS9 with us, but she's not going to watch all of any of the other shows. She's not going to watch all of Next Gen. But I told her, you know, there are select episodes I want you to see. But I was, for example, I was thinking about like the first season. Well, I'm going to want her to see 11001001. But I mean, that is a pretty Star Trek episode. I like it a lot. And that's why I wanted to see it. But it's not like, say, The Visitor, which you don't have to know diddly about sci-fi or Star Trek or even Deep Space Nine. Yeah. To, to, um, to be moved by the story of a father and his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just so that one episode, and it's not just that one, but that, but that's a good example of, of why this entire show is so special to us. And, and I totally agree with you that we're always going to have this, this, um, wonderful seven-year journey uh, that we can experience again. But the most magical part, I think, is going to be sharing it with others. And I'm, I'm delighted that in the future, there are going to be whole generations of people that are going to experience this. And that's, you know, it's a great show whenever I didn't have anything to do with it. And I'm glad that <laughs> my generation is, is bringing that to the future. And I mean, this is a very kind of aesthetic discussion, I suppose. But that's how great I think this show is, and it's it's completely held up, a hundred percent. And I I th- I thought it would, um, and in many ways it exceeded my expectations. I love it. So, do you think um, do you think there's any future with this storyline? I mean, I know I, you guys a couple of weeks ago, um, or more than a couple of weeks, you guys talked about the future of Trek. I think you said you focus more on the movies and J.J. Abrams. Of course, Do you think pick, there's... They pick up the storyline in the, in the relaunch novels. Um, mm-hmm. Steve, you said, Steve, you said they were decent, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but as far as whether we're even going to see this universe again, I don't know. Um, I think we will see it um, a little bit earlier in a couple of weeks when we start watching Next Gen. <laughs> <laughs> But that's no, the past from where we're at right now. I don't think I wanted to say to both you guys was I, I mentioned this last time, but it's been so great, you know. Talk about watching it with um, people that haven't watched it before. There's also something incredibly special about watching it with uh, other people that love it, and you get to talk about it uh, with them. And obviously, we didn't physically watch the episodes at the same time, but we had even better. We got. I just finished it watching it. Let's talk about it. For the last two years, you know, I know when we started this podcast, um, there were a lot of questions. We didn't know where we were going to go and what was going to happen and if we'd even finish. And here we are two years later. When we started this podcast, I think my wife had, my wife was pregnant, but we didn't know. I'd only been married for a couple of months. My wife was pregnant. I think we didn't even know she was pregnant when we started this podcast. with a with a 15 month old son um and through these these two years a lot has changed in my life but i've always had this podcast to come back to i've always had you guys discussing ds9 and i've just i'm really appreciative that i've had that i thank you guys for it i'm really really looking forward to our keeping it going to our uh, talking about next gen and i also want to call out um Adam Membry, our recording engineer that our listeners never hear from, but um, he's he's done a great job and um, looking forward to the future. 
Yeah. It'll, well, it'll be thank you to everybody who was a guest on our show as well. Trey Murphy. Um, who else was on our show? I'm sorry if I'm forgetting you right now. List, but we hope to have them all back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to talking to them all again. Sorry. One season, I think it was the fifth season where we did like uh, a guest host. Oh yes. Our, came on like every other episode that was cool um so I mean, we'll do that again mm-hmm. but anyway yeah thank you I, I echo the sentiments as it was, yeah, uh, exactly it. yeah it's been a lot of fun and finally thank you to our listeners uh many of you have been with us for 49 episodes um and i really hope you're going to stay with us as we start up next gen and i think we're still leaning towards just talking about three episodes mm-hmm. yeah yeah but if any of our listeners have a strong opinion about that, you know, send us an email. Um, Please talk about eight an episode. Or <laughs> uh, I am, I am, you know, watching at the end of DS9 was bittersweet because I'm sorry to see it end, but I'm excited to watch Next Gen even more than usual because HD. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I think we've, I think we've, uh, I think two years is enough. (laughs) I think we can wrap this up. So thanks again to our listeners for being with us. And I hope you stick around. Um, Follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will... See you in two weeks. Take care, guys. Thanks for watching. Listening. (laughs) 